just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live, the best of 2023. We're at number eight today. And you know what? I've got a last-minute Christmas gift idea for you. Uh, And you can't get it on Amazon. You can't get it at the 24-hour drugstore where I typically buy, uh, you know, stocking stuffers the night before. (laughs) But this is something you cannot buy. But it's more valuable than anything that money could possibly afford. And that is a new prayer life. And I know you're thinking, okay, that's just something that Christians say. But what if prayer became more than a ritual or a wish or something you say before a meal? And it became an ongoing dialogue. It became something that you naturally engaged in because you are aware that as the name Emmanuel implies this Christmas season that God is with you then that conversation doesn't seem so crazy (laughs) how do you do that that's what we're talking about today and Addison Bevere is a guest and as I mentioned yesterday this is one that I read the whole book words with God that's his book and it um it changed the way I view prayer and what a gift so I hope you'll stick around maybe share this with somebody today but enjoy this conversation I think it's going to expand your mind maybe hopefully shift your perspective and bring you into a closer relationship with God. What a better time of the year than to do it at at Christmas. Enjoy Addison. Randy, so good to see you. Thanks for having me on the show. So, I mean, when you talk about looking at, you know, books and and things like that, I mean, prayer is kind of one of those topics. There's, there's probably dozens and dozens of books on prayer, but this is something important to you. Give us a little background on this. Yeah. So Randy, I think for many of us, we're we're scared to admit the fact that prayer is harder for us um, Mm -hmm. than we would like to believe or like to project it to be. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you're like, I should be better at prayer. When if you come forward and you say, hey, I'm not very good at prayer, you get those looks just like, oh, what's going on? And I think the challenge that we've had when it comes to prayer is we we largely view it as a formula to solve rather than an experience to share. And because of that, we're constantly looking for the right inputs to get the right outputs and we're chasing the wrong thing. We're moving in the wrong direction. And so naturally we feel frustrated. We feel discontent. Um, we feel like it's mechanical, transactional, empty, boring. And so I'm very passionate about re revisiting, relooking at prayer so we can see it not just as this this thing that we do, but an outflow and expression of who we are. I think that the idea, you know, oh, well, I've got a situation. I should pray about it feeds maybe a little bit into the idea that that prayer is that transaction that, that and, and not always in like a negative way or an empty way, but sure. you know, I, I just I need an answer. You know, I need direction. Uh, is, yeah. is that the wrong way to approach it, you think? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with reaching out to God for direction, for an answer, for clarity, uh, for provision, whatever it is. Like that's, that's certainly a part of prayer, just as that's a part of any relationship. 
But if a relationship is only built on a transaction, then that relationship, if it's supposed to be an intimate, meaningful relationship, is is destined to fail. And I think for many people, Randy, when it comes to reaching out to God, they want to have words with God, but it seems like God doesn't want to have words with them. Mm. So when when they pray, they they wonder, am I having words with God or am I just having words with myself? Mm-hmm. And in the first the first movement of this book, um, it's called the canyon. And the reason why I call it the canyon is because so often in prayer, when we go to God and we pray, we think we might hear something, but then we wonder, is that just an echo of my own words, my own thoughts, my own desires, my own fears? Is that an echo that I'm hearing? Am I really talking to God or am I just in this massive canyon of life and I'm catching reverberations of my own prayers of my own words? And there's a reason why prayer, if we, if we study the history of prayer, what it means to be people of prayer, there's a reason why prayer so often leads us into silence. And one of the main reasons why prayer leads us into silence is because we have to learn, number one, that silence is not rejection, it's actually an invitation. There's a lot of ideas that we have about God, about us, about this world that have to be released. And prayer is the place where we surrender those ideas and we release them. And the other component of the silence that's terrifying is anytime we create space where there's a vacuum, do you know who likes to occupy that space? The accuser. Mm. The accuser slides in and the accuser comes out. It's just as Jesus, after this beloved sonship was spoken over him and he was led into the, by the spirit into the wilderness, the accuser comes and says, if you're really the son of God, prove it, mm-hmm. do something, make something of yourself. And so one of the reasons why we're delivered to silence and prayer is because we have to realize that the voice of God does not sound like the voice and the tenor of the accuser. It's something different, something other something holy it's something so personal and intimate and if we're looking for the voice of god and the sound of the accuser we'll often miss how god speaks to us in both silence and sound i think the the challenge there is well i think there's a third i think there's a third voice too which is your own head uh and that's that's frankly the one that i struggle with the most like you talk about is it just an echo of my own my own self yeah uh how do how do we learn to distinguish between the three? Yeah. And I would say the third voice, which you you called the voice, like your own voice, I would say the third voice is a reflection of whichever voice has your ear. Hmm. And so it's important to ask that question. How do we discern between the two? And I, Randy, I spend the entire book talking about mm-hmm. how do we discern between the great voice and the voice of the accuser. How do we venture into that place of intimacy and connection and purpose and promise, which which is a, a place full of landmines, full of dangers, because anything that is intimate and sacred is dangerous. Even the word intimacy, it comes from the Latin intimir, which means interfere. Like this is risky business. This is dangerous stuff. And so what I would what I would tell people is that the voice of the accuser will largely turn you in on yourself. The voice of the accuser will freeze you. The voice of the accuser will condemn you, will move you into shame, will separate, will isolate. Um, And so much of the voice of the accuser focuses on what we can't do anything about. Whereas the voice of God, the great voice, it does woo us outside of our comfort zone. It does challenge us. It does convict us. It brings us to places. It calls us to do things that we never thought we could do, that we never thought we could experience. But it's very different. It resonates with the depths of who we are 
what we know we're called to do, who we know we're called to become in ways that transcend accusation. And that's that's how I discern between the two. Listen, they're both going to, quote unquote, challenge you. But one is going to challenge you forward and out into the lives and to purpose and to connection of the people around you, whereas the other one's going to cause you to shrink back within the universe of yourself, making that universe smaller and smaller and smaller, more confused, more distorted, more disoriented. Yeah, I'm, I guess we can judge things by the fruit, you know? I mean, that's yeah. kind of what I'm hearing. Um, there, There is a theological position, and I don't know that you touch on this, um, but I, I find it, I find it problematic. But I understand the problems on the other side, and that is the idea that everything that God has spoken is in Scripture, uh, and so, in order to hear from God, we must read Scripture, uh, and and it's it's sort of an idea that God doesn't really speak outside of that, and I find that very very problematic. But yet I understand, you know, people pray and they say, God told me this. And we're like, dude, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how do, first of all, I'm, I'm assuming you believe that, that we can hear from God in prayer. Um, and it will align with scripture. Sure. How do you, how do you balance the, the hearing God in our spirit versus hearing God through the scripture, um, yeah. in, in a way that's theologically sound? Yeah. So I would say when it comes to the voice of God and and the the voice revealed through scripture, often called the word of God, any kind of tension or dissonance is caused by our lack of understanding how the two harmonize. Mm. And I would tell people, listen, the voice is going to sound a lot like scripture. It's going to sound a lot like the word. And so if the voice is contradicting your idea of the word, well, that should drive you deeper into the word. Mm. That should drive you deeper into relationship with the voice because at some level they will harmonize. The, the challenge is though, Randy, none of us are like, we love to believe that we're masters of this construct that reveals God. But the reality is even within people who love, love scripture, who love God or pursuing the truth of who God is, there are differences mm. of belief. And, and I'm talking among people who view the, the, the word of God, right? The Bible as authoritative. There are differences oh, yeah. in belief. And so what I have found in my own journey is, is the spirit of God will bring me into nuances in scripture that are a bit terrifying to venture into. But as I dig deeper, I actually start to recognize how scripture harmonizes, the meta narrative of scripture harmonizes in ways, surprising ways that I never thought possible. So I find the two work hand in hand to drive us deeper into personal connection with God through the spirit and also a, a greater understanding and appreciation of scripture. I mean, we read things like in 2 Corinthians 3, we're taught, we read that the letter kills, right? Hmm. That, that it's a ministry of death. Of devoid of the spirit becomes a ministry of death. I mean, look at all the evil that has been done in the name of scripture mm -hmm. in our world. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can make, because we're master manipulators, we can make scripture do whatever we want it to do. If you really want, if you really want to make scripture your slave, you can pull things out of context by not leaning into the tension and the completeness of scripture. You can pull little things out of context and you can weaponize scripture for whatever agenda you wish to pursue. Yeah. But when we're sensitive to the spirit, 
which which transcends um transcends nuanced transcends agenda because this is the reality of who god is is revealed through his spirit this is why jesus calls it the law of liberty the law of faith this is what's delivered to us by the spirit then we realize whoa in fear and trembling and the awe of god hey we better not make scripture our slave like this is this is not a good idea yeah, yeah. so <laughs> you, you you keep mentioning a word that uh, i heard from your father quite a bit and that is the idea of terror which yeah. uh you know when we go god didn't give us a spirit of fear and we think we try to sort of soften the idea of the fear of the lord when literally both the greek and the hebrew it means terror uh i'm, I'm sensing that in your journey in prayer you, you have learned the, a proper fear of god um which really puts a weight and a seriousness on the idea of prayer because it can let's, let's be honest we've, we've heard a lot of flippant prayers we probably said some ourselves you know sure um this is a this is a this is a weighty thing is it not it is and it, the subtitle of the book is how to trade boring empty prayer for real connection when we start to understand that the fear of god is actually if you look at it like a coin the fear of god is is the same coin as the love of god we parse these two things but really they're one and the same the fear of god is a refusal to let go of certainty or mystery like you find a lot of camps they're like they're all about certainty like it's basically god is the byproduct of their designs and their wishes right like they're the masters of god then you find other camps and they're all about mystery and and in a very different way god is the slave to whatever their designs are mm. and for us we have to bring mystery and certainty into the center of how we engage with god mm. knowing that he is our tender father who is also holy who is the consuming fire and it's by approaching him from that place of reverence and awe, being like, God, I don't always understand how these two reconcile, mm -hmm. but I know you're not one thing over here and another thing over there. Any dissonance, any separation that I perceive, that's internal. You are perfect. You are true. You are immutable. You're unchangeable. And so the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, moves us into intimacy with God because we realize that there is no clarity outside of that experience, outside of that intimacy with God. And so when we stand back and we make this transactional, whether it's prayer or anything else with how we engage with God, essentially what we're doing is we're making God the projection of whatever we think he should be. Yeah. And in the second chapter of this book, I write about a season um, that I went through. It was five years of insomnia. And I would pray in this season, Randy, I would pray, be like, God, deliver me from this insomnia, deliver me from this insomnia. I want freedom. Like, why is this happening? And I, and I noticed something in this season, Randy, I, I realized that God won't deliver us from a thing if he knows that that thing will ultimately deliver us to him. Hmm. And so often we make like prayer a mechanism to get whatever that thing is, whether that's freedom or that's provision or whatever. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but really at the end of the day, prayer is about communion and connection with God and purpose and promise and making sense of our pain and our plight and frustration. All of that only makes sense within this intimate connection that we have with God. 
And where I get so frustrated, and I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of so many people who like won't actually say this until you have a real conversation with them, but they're like, I feel so disconnected from God. Mm-hmm. And I've tried the formulas, I've read the books, I've done the steps, and I don't feel like God and I are connecting. I don't have a clear sense of purpose. I don't feel like my, my relationships are as rich or as deep as they should be. I, I feel the world feels disjointed to me. And the reason why that is, is because we've made prayer such a small part of what we are and what we do. We've made it what we speak, what we say. We've made it a formula instead of opening our lives, opening our complete sense of self to God. And that's that idea of praying without ceasing. That's the idea of experiencing constant intimacy and connection. And that sounds like a lot of work because our idea of prayer is like moving our mouth and saying the right things. <laughs> but the reality is even the way First Thessalonians 5.17, the way it reads in Greek is it's an invitation to rest of the heart. Praying without ceasing is actually an invitation to constant rest, hmm. to receiving, hmm. to being aware of what is ultimately true so we can respond, so we can ask, so we can yield, so we can do all the things that prayer invites us into. Do you think we have a lot of just basic misconceptions of what prayer is? You know, what, yes. What, what would be sort of <laughs> what would be sort of the common yes. ones where you go? You may think prayer is this, but it, but it's yeah, it's not. Okay, I'll get I'll use the Lord's prayer to give one. Okay, okay. So Jesus, so you know this, studying the Gospels, Jesus was reluctant to give anyone any formulas because mm-hmm. he because he knew if I give you a formula, mm-hmm. the religious elite are going to figure out a way to master manipulate this thing and use it for their own means and their own purposes. Oh yeah. But in the Lord's Prayer, we find something that sounds a bit formulaic, and there's a reason why it's been turned into a formula by the church. But the truth is, Randy, the Lord's Prayer is not a formula. It's a framework. The entire prayer is a framework. So think about it. At the beginning, what do we do? We properly orient with God. He is our tender father. He's our, not mine. It's so easy to make this life about me, myself, I. He's our father. And so there's a tenderness, there's there's a sense of being known and being cared for. Who And then hallowed be your name. So right there we start, and then we pray his kingdom, his will, all of that. We move through it. Then we move into our challenges of relationship, of provision, of healing, trials and temptations, evil, deliverance of evil, all of that. It's a framework. It's a movement from one to the next. So for me, when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'll pray our Father, and I'll allow the Spirit of God to read me there and be like, okay, where am I not believing this? Hmm. Where, Spirit of God, where are there disconnects in my life? Where am I missing it that you are my tender Father? You're not just my tender Father, you're our Father. How does that change the way I engage with my wife? How does that change the way I engage with my children today? How does that change the way I lead my team? Stuff like that, and I move through it, and I personalize it, because again, it's a framework, not a formula. And I can bring that through my entire day. And in one of the chapters of this book, I, I give a prayer, really simple prayer. So I, I give a lot of different tools that are frameworks, not formulas, that lead us into a place of constant prayer and connection with God. One of them is a really simple prayer. It's just, I am here. There are three dimensions to this prayer. Number one, I am here. I'm nowhere else. Randy, I'm having a conversation with you. I'm not God. I can't be somewhere else. So guess what? I'm going to be present to your presence, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be present 
to the presence of God in this moment right now. First, that's the first dimension. Number two, I am here. I'm not where I once was and I'm not where I'm going to be. And so I'm not going to allow the accuser to come in and try to riddle my life and and sidetrack what I'm doing today by anxiety related to the future or regret and shame related to the past. Yeah. And the third third dimension is I am here. The great I am God is here with me right now. Mm. Super simple prayer. I am here. And what it does for me is it brings all of those things front and center so I can re-engage and move back into my day, whatever I'm doing. Well, that's good. That's good. We're talking to Addison Bevere. Uh, this is the latest book called Words with God. You can pick it up wherever you get books. You can also go to addisonbevere.com and see more about the, the ministry, sons and daughters there. Uh, I think uh, also there's another issue that we deal with, Addison, uh, and that is the idea of God's omniscience. Uh, mm. he, he knows. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I need. And so there's a little bit, I think, sometimes of an idea of why do I need, why do I need to say what God already knows? Yeah. Do, what's the fault in that thinking? Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, there's there's a few, right? and I know you're you're smiling because I, I know I, I'm I setting you up. Start, Come on, you are you're setting me up. But I, I'm going to highlight one, one fault. So again, it goes back to this idea of inputs and outputs and transactional prayer. We think we need to pray in order to convince God of something that He already knows, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, prayer is so much about our awareness and our participation. You see. We go through life, Randy, living terribly unaware. So often, even what we're experiencing today, even some of the challenges that we're experiencing today, so often are an answer to a prayer from a previous season. Mm. But we don't realize that we're living in answered prayers. And when we pray vague prayers, which is like, hey, God knows what's going on. I don't need to really pray anything. Just God, your will be done. We are missing out on the chance to be connected to the reality of what God is doing. And so I write a whole chapter on this particular subject, but I'm going to highlight one thing. Jesus okay, gives us a beautiful model for how to enter into this, this place of how do we pray to a God who has, has a will, has an understanding of what's happening. He sees everything. He knows everything. In Gethsemane, there are three dimensions to Jesus's prayer. Number one, he's specific. That God, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way mm. this cup can cup can pass, like please, and I don't drink of it, please. Right? Number two, he's steadfast. He gets his friends. He's like, guys, please pray for me. He goes back three times. I don't know how many times he's praying this during those times of prayer, but three different sessions. He's contending. He's contending so much that there's drops of blood, right, coming from his pores. And number three, he surrendered. Not my will, but yours be done. Mm. See, a lot of us, we want to swing a pendulum. We're just like these vague, whatever God you want done prayers, and we send those up, and we live completely unaware of how God is moving and working in our lives. We live unaware of the tension. We're not being prepared through prayer for the things that God wants us to participate in. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that are like super specific, and they're like, my job is to tell God what to do. And if God doesn't do everything that I tell him to do, then prayer doesn't work. And the reality is, Randy, and I, we can pull isolated scriptures and make a strong case for either one of these. We're called to be specific in prayer, and that's more so about our awareness, but we're also called to be surrendered in prayer. 
which is ultimately about God's sovereignty and the fact that he sees the end from the beginning. He knows things that we cannot understand. Mm. But that's not a get out of prayer card. <laughs> that's a, hey, we can pray with confidence and assurance. The Greek word, iteo, which we which is used for asking God in prayer, it conveys a boldness. It conveys this sense of like you belong in the presence of the one that you are making the ask to. Like God wants us mm. to come boldly and ask for the sake of his name, for the sake of his honor. That's why we pray in the name. So that's that's what I would share. Okay, and that leads in, I, I got two more questions for you. And, okay. and that leads into one of them. And And okay, so we see in the Lord's Prayer, you know, the idea of forgiveness. Yeah. I think that that is obviously one hindrance in our prayer life, life is when yes. we have unforgiveness. The other one that I'm guilty of, uh, and that is the sort of the Adam syndrome, you know, where, yeah, I'll go to God in prayer with these things, but I've got these hidden things over here that I don't want him to see because mm. I know they're dirty and I'm embarrassed, right? Yeah, yeah. What are what do you think are some of the the hindrances that that keep us from boldly wanting to come into His presence? Because we're all you know, it's real easy to be like, you know, God, I want to honor you, and so I'll pray about these things. But mm -hmm. gosh, there's this stuff over here that I yeah. know you don't want to see because I know it's wrong. Yeah. So I would call to mind Hebrews two and Hebrews four, where we read that we have this high priest Jesus who who has been tempted. And in, in every respect, who has gone through the human experience, he it says that he has traveled through the heavens. There's no space that he has not occupied. He is completely aware of what we navigate. Uh, I love the promise in Hebrews four that the word of God it, it pierces and it divides. It separates spirit, soul, bone, marrow. We read that we're like, ooh, that's scary. No, actually, the purpose of that statement it's taken out of context, and there's a weird break in most Bibles there. But the purpose of that statement is a promise that your high priest actually searches and knows and understands you. And I and I write a whole chapter on this and it's it's the gift of confession. Mm -hmm. Randy, we think confession is for God. Mm -hmm. Like we got to clear the ledger, mm -hmm. to get all the transactions, mm -hmm. take care of all of our sins, failures. It's not for God, it's for us. Mm -hmm. God doesn't need us to confess our sins. God listen listen to what I just said. God knows what we've done. It's not about his knowledge not knowing. God needs to hear us articulate our sins, our failures, so they lose their power over mm. us. Because mm. it's in the presence of God. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and grace. Mercy is for what has been. Grace is for what will be. We live in the intersection of mercy and grace. Mm. Come with confidence because that's the only place that you can work this stuff out. Like the enemy, the accuser, going back to the voice of the accuser, the accuser will tell you, hey, hey, go over here, get away from God get your stuff together, then once you have your stuff together, yeah. then you can go to God in prayer. And we'll never get and, there. <laughs> and that will never happen because the only place where you get your stuff together is in the presence of the one who already knows your brokenness in ways that you could never understand because mm. he searches, he separates mm. bone, marrow, spirit, soul. He knows everything. And so that's what I would share with you. Like those are the parts of us that God most wants us to become aware of, mm -hmm. wants us to surrender, because it's in confession that the lie that is not all a lie, yes, we have sinned, yes, we have fallen short, bows a knee to the truth that is all true, because Jesus' life, his work, what he speaks over us, 
overcomes the lie, actually places the lie in its right context, in its right place, because every good liar takes truth into its lie, right? Like every lie is going to have a bit of truth. And the enemy, the accuser, does that better than anyone. And so the spirit of God, the presence of God helps us discern the lie from the truth so we can surrender the lie to God and he can do his work in the truth, the brokenness, the guilt. He can do his work there so that doesn't turn into a source of shame. You you make that sound like a good thing. <laughs> you know, uh, right? It's a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. A process a process that we all think is is bad. It's actually very very good. I think it's one of the lies we've been sold. Uh Yes. Mm, that's encouraging. Last question. When we talk about the yes, wise sir. man who built his house on the rock, right? We see three things yep. there. We see that he, he comes to God, he hears God, and then he obeys, he does. And I think yep. in prayer, you know, we come to God and then we, we learn to hear the voice of the shepherd, whether it's through scripture or, or through this mystical relationship that's consistent with scripture, I would always say. Correct. How important is it that what we hear in prayer or in you know, the the scripture applying in our lives that we actually do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, you know, like James writes, be hearers of the word or be doers that were not just hearers only. Mm-hmm. And he says, deceiving yourself. And the idea there in James one is like you look at a mirror and you see this promise of who you can become and you deny who you can become and you revert back to who you are in your own strength. Mm-hmm. You deny the work of grace, you deny the power of God. And this is what Randy I think at the root, at the root of what you just described is a belief that many of us have about God, that God is just looking for us to get it wrong. He is just waiting mm. to come down in judgment and condemn us and tell us how messed up we are. Well, and the, rea- and and the that, reality is what God- a lot of churches teach, frankly. It is. It is. And I don't think we have time to go into <laughs> why that's the case today, but it's, I'm going to just tell you right now, it's fundamentally wrong. Yeah. It's fundamentally wrong, and it's a work of the enemy. It's a ministry of Satan going going to Matthew 23 and what Jesus, where he's t- calling woe to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That's largely what he's going after, that spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. to answer your question, Randy, when it, when it comes to God and obedience and responding to God in prayer, the reality is God is more invested in us getting it right than we are. He's he's more interested, he's more concerned with us getting it right than we can even understand. And I think of what the psalmist writes in Psalm 37. The psalmist writes that God directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And I think that idea of God as someone who's just looking for us to get it wrong is, is what makes it so difficult for us to enter prayer with courage and faith and expectation and believing that whatever prayer becomes, it's gonna become more than the sum of our contribution. God is going to come in, he's going to get involved, he's gonna open the conversation, he's gonna connect with us in ways that are even beyond our understanding of connection. And by doing so, he's gonna lead us into everything that he has for us. All we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is not shrink back. We have to believe that even if we get it wrong, even if we make a misstep, He's more invested in us getting it right than we could ever understand. And even a wrong step surrendered to God has a way of becoming the right step. (laughs) Uh, That's encouraging because I can make those, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
Man, it's so good. I, I just love the conversation. I love the depth. I love the... I, I think you know, we, we have that idea of God is out to get us, waiting for us to make the mistake, and what you're saying is the complete opposite, and that is just that is the good news, right? That is, yeah. it, it's, 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 it's not that we have to get it right or that we have to get ourselves right or that we just have to come, you know groveling to God, he lets us stand before him. And that's the yes. beauty of it. And it makes it a lot easier to have some words with God. Uh, anything you want to add, man? I sure appreciate this. Yeah. I mean, Randy, thanks again for having me on. And I think the last thing I would leave people with, because so often prayer just looks like, or feels like another thing that we have to do. And I would, I would leave people with this. I would say prayer isn't another thing that you do. Prayer is the thing that connects and integrates everything that you do. Mm. It's the thing that actually brings it all together. Mm. And that's the idea of praying without ceasing. It's the idea of living in connection with God so we know what to do, when to do it. And if you're out there and if you've been like, man, I'm frustrated with prayer. I know there's more. I've had glimpses of connection. I've had glimpses of clarity and certainty, but I want more. I'm telling y'all, like this book, it's not going to give you cliches. It's not going to give you formulas. It's going to bring you into the presence of God. It's gonna teach you how to practice and participate in the presence of God and to bring prayer into every part of your life. Well, what do you think? I know I enjoyed that conversation and, and reflected on it uh, quite a bit in the book, Words with God, what a, what a blessing. Um, but seriously, I hope you'll you'll really put some thought into that and, and start, start doing it. You don't have to be good at it, you know? You don't have to be trained in it. Just start talking to God and and listening. Uh, and after a while, it'll feel a lot more natural. Uh, but it's, it's a whole different dynamic and I'm not perfect at it. I'm, I'm, this is an ongoing thing, by the way, that it's a, it's a journey. It's, it's a walk, a walk with God, we would say. And, and it really is that walking out day after day after day. And it's revolutionary. So I appreciate you guys being here uh, again, hit that share button, hit the like, follow. If you haven't done that, uh, subscribe, depending on where you're at. Uh, you'll get notifications of more uh, inspiring interviews, including the rest of the top 10 tomorrow. Who, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow is one of the more interesting people that we've had on the broadcast. And again, this is one that I, I talked to here online, and then we brought him on the broadcast show, and people loved him on the broadcast show. No surprise, you'll have to tune in tomorrow to find out who that is, but I know it will encourage you. That's the goal. I'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. believing of the heart. It is faith in God. You believe in pain.